Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success, where every week we share the story of one inspiring woman, and then we let her tell you how she got to where she is today. I have to admit, I've never covered a story quite like this one. Imagine what it would be like if your family genetics harbored a deadly disease that began with symptoms like slowed movements and poor balance, memory impairment, speech changes, personality changes, and then dementia. And now imagine that 50% of your relative's genetic pool might contain this rare mutation for which there is no cure. That's exactly what happened in the life of today's guest. In fact, her family is the subject of a groundbreaking research study at the University of Pennsylvania. And yet, she remains strong, like a rock, for those she loves. More determined than ever to find a way to stop the runaway train that has her family terrified. She is the president and the founder of Sisters Hope Foundation. And her vision is a world where those affected by this disease, known as HDLS and ALSP, will have support, knowledge, and a better quality of life. Her mission is that one day someone will survive this rare disease, maybe even her nieces and nephews. Her name is Heidi Edwards, and this is her story. So I started out by telling Heidi that I had to use the acronym for this disease because it's pretty hard to pronounce, but she knows all about it. Here we go. Now they have decided to call this disease ALSP, adult onset leukoencephalopathy with axonal spheroids and pigmented glia. Originally, my family was diagnosed with HDLS, which is the same disease. It was called hereditary diffuse leukoencephalopathy with spheroids. And what are the symptoms when they first present themselves? Well, that's the, the hard part with this disease. I have five family members with the disease. My aunt presented with speech issues and behavioral changes. My mother presented with some mood and behavioral changes, but walking difficulties. My uncle also presented with confusion and some behavioral changes. So everyone has behavioral changes at the beginning, but on top of that, at the very beginning, there's some other slight differences. My uncle would get lost going to work and he had worked at the same job for 32 years, same route. And then when my two sisters became symptomatic, Heather presented with behavioral changes, but uh, the inability to use the computer. And she was very good on the computer, but she could no longer navigate through Word or Excel or even email. There were days she couldn't even turn on her computer early on in the disease. And Holly's number one clue that there was something wrong was her speech issues. We could no longer understand what she was trying to tell us. How many years passed before doctors started to see a pattern here and they started to study your family's genetics? Aunt Ruth was the first relative to be diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease. She passed in 2005. My mother passed in 2012. And then in 2013, when my uncle passed away, that is when the 
doctors at University of Penn were able to definitely find the mutated gene and link it to all three family members. So in 2012, the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville actually found the mutated gene. They and they were able then to take my uncle's brain tissue that was donated for research and determine that he carried this mutated gene. Then because my mom and her sister donated brain tissue to the brain bank at Penn, they were able to go back and determine that all three siblings carried this mutated gene. So in 2013, we finally had an answer to what was happening to our family. They had a rare type of leukodystrophy. So from around 2000 through 2013, we had no idea for 13 years what was happening. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And I'm, I'm thinking of the analogy, Heidi, of walking on eggshells. What was it like for all of you? Worrying who's going to be next. And that's just it. We were walking on eggshells. And because we have a large family, my mom had nine brothers and sisters and only three have passed from the disease. We every day between my mom's generation and my cousins and sisters in my generation, you start to worry that little issues that are common with aging are actually the disease. You know, you talk too fast and you slur a word and then you call your sister and say, oh, no, I have the disease. It's a terrible feeling. It keeps you up at night. It stops you from focusing on what's important every day because you're worried that you're also going to have the disease and it's starting to take effect. Your twin sister, Holly, has the disease right now. You lost Heather last August, but you had also been told that if you donated your bone marrow to Heather, it might save her or help her. Can you tell us that story? Sure. Yes. So Heather and Holly were both symptomatic at the same time. Heather went for testing first, and we found that there was a clinical trial in Minnesota that they were doing an experimental bone marrow transplant. So Heather started the process and they prefer a sibling first. They want a sibling because you have a 100% chance of being a match. So they tested me first because they knew at this time I was not a carrier of the disease. I do not have the mutation, but because Holly was symptomatic and was going through the genetic process to determine that she's definitely positive. They didn't test her. So on my birthday, March 31st, I received the call from my sister and her husband that I was an exact 100% match. So I was Heather's genetic twin. I have been told that donating bone marrow is very painful. Was that true for you? Yes, it's a, it was extremely painful. I did not expect the pain and exhaustion I would feel afterwards. I knew I would do it regardless, but 
I tried to not even think about what the process was because just hearing it sounds terrible. I'll tell you though, looking back, I would do it all over again to save Heather. And even at one point when she had the heart attack, she was in the ICU for 22 days. I said, well, is it time that you need more bone marrow? I'm ready. I'm, I'm recovered now, you know, I'll give more. And they said, no, no, we don't, we don't need more marrow. But as time went on, it, she got worse and worse and having more wasn't going to save her. So, but I, I said, I'll be there. Anything I can do to save Heather, I'll do it. You know, it's interesting because there's a thing about sisters. <laughs> and I know that you and Heather and Holly have been so close throughout your lifetimes. You've got a twin sister, and I'll share with you that my my husband is a twin, so I've learned a lot about twins since being married to one. And I'm guessing that now that Holly is in the end stages of this disease, I'd venture to say that you probably feel her pain sometimes. You know, I, I do feel her pain. And if you're not a twin, you can't relate to what it's like to be a twin and be so connected. But other twins will completely understand what I'm saying. Even though Holly and I are fraternal twins, we share a very deep bond. And as she got sick, there was no doubt. I mean, I knew what was happening and I could I could feel those changes. And it's hard to explain. But before she's sick, sometimes I become sick. It's not my condition. You know, for example, when she was pregnant with her son, I had the morning sickness and I called her and I'm like, I am so sick. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm getting the flu. And that morning she goes, I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh no, (laughs) that would explain all of this. So my biggest fear was not only losing my sisters, losing my twin, who is my best friend, but I was terrified at the beginning what I would experience along with her. You know, The great part of Holly is she's such a positive influence on everyone. Everyone she meets, they just love her. So I have felt more joy and love right now through her disease and wanting to make memories for her and her son and the family. I feel a lot of grief because you you grieve before you actually lose the person when it's a disease like this. But I, I definitely felt a spike in energy from her because she is a very ambitious, energetic person. I'm also going to guess that when it was time for you to be tested for this mutation, on the one hand, you probably felt like I've got to do this. I got to get on with my life. On the other hand, I'm terrified to know the answer. Can you tell us that story? Yes, I was. I was terrified. Absolutely. I did not want to be the next family member with this disease, but I also knew I couldn't keep my life on hold the way it was because I was terrified. I was frozen every day with fear. I I couldn't move forward until I knew if I had this disease or not. And I, I needed to know not just for myself and my family, I needed to make sure my son was going to be okay. So leading up to the three months before I actually received the results every day, not a moment goes by that you're not thinking, wow, this, this could be it that I might have this disease. And, you know, I'm a planner. I had two paths. It was going to be my life with the disease and my life without the disease. And, you know, and some of it was very similar, but I just knew 
it would go either way and I needed to plan for it. And I'm also the type that thinks knowledge is power. So I needed to know if I have this disease, what does my advocacy look like? If I don't have it, I can push so much harder, I felt, and do so much more for families and my family. So on the day that I was scheduled to receive my test results, it was my husband's birthday and uh, my sisters, no one knew. My son, no one knew. We were driving to Philadelphia to meet with a geneticist in person to receive the results. I get on this two hour drive and I can't call my twin sister. Like I always do every day because I might slip where I'm going. So my husband and I get to the appointment and I receive the letter it's in a, it's on a letter. I'm sitting in the office, just the three of us, geneticist, my husband and myself. And she hands me this letter and she said, you are negative for the mutation. And at that point, my husband and I just collapse into each other's arms. We are crying and sobbing and they're happy tears and sad tears because I dodged that genetic mutation, but I still have two sisters that I'm, that don't want to find out. So they could be living with it. It was, it was really a great, great feeling to know I did not have the disease. So from there, I called my twin sister right away. And I, and I said, um, that I wanted to meet her for lunch and it happened that she was at home. So I'm like, okay, we're going to meet you for lunch. And she didn't, she thought we were shopping. I said, Oh, we were just out shopping. So we take her to lunch and I tell her, I'm like, you're not even going to believe this. This is what we did. And I am not a carrier of the mutation. She was so excited. And she said, well, we are twins. So I'm going to live my life as if I do not have the mutation either. So she said, I understand that we're fraternal, but we're twins and we're so close and there's so much about us that are this, that's the same. I'm going with, I don't have the disease and I don't have to worry. And, and that's what she did until she became symptomatic and could no longer ignore that it was happening. I'm going to guess Heidi, that when you got that negative on the test, a whole new world of possibility opened up to you. And you probably then and there made the decision, I'm going to form a foundation. And the foundation is called SistersHopeFoundation.com if our listeners anywhere around the world want to support you. Am I right that that was the day that you said, I'm going to do something, anything I can to change this? That's correct. That is exactly right. Because I did not want anyone else to feel what I felt, to feel so alone to not have resources available, I needed to to get the word out that this disease needed to be cured. My family needed help. And I knew there are other people struggling with this disease and they just didn't know it. So we went through this journey and finally discovered in 2013 that that's what our family was dealing with. I didn't want someone to be in the dark for that long or to feel that pain that that we've gone through. I believe that our childhoods frame us and that our parents, our brothers, our sisters, they form our foundation. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your family before all of this tragedy started happening? What was it like growing up in your house? So in my house, we had a we grew up in a small town in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, 
and we had a small house with three girls, Heather, Heidi, and Holly, and my mom and dad, who had been married for 38 years when my mom passed. And we had a really loving childhood. My, my parents were amazing. They were all about their girls. My mom adored her girls and everyone knew it. She didn't spoil us though. She loved us to the (laughs) extreme, you know, so they didn't have the extra money to spoil us that way. But looking back, we knew every day how much we were loved by them. And we were taught to love our sisters too. So we have a really close bond with each other and we always did we shared everything. We were close in age. Heather was only two years older than Holly and I. So people actually thought we were triplets Ah. instead of Heather being the older sister. We all looked alike. We all were close in age and we did everything together. Where does your strength come from? I believe it comes from my mom and, and now Heather. I feel like I've been chosen to carry on this mission for a reason. I'm the only sibling without the disease for a reason. And I have to keep pushing forward for them. I know my mom would have wanted me to help save my sisters, but the disease occurred too fast after her passing. My sisters are 10 years younger than the other family members. My mom would want me to save her grandchildren and my sisters would want me to save their children. So I have a niece and two nephews that may be affected by this disease because it's autosomal dominant. They have a 50% chance of carrying it, but my son has zero chance of having the disease because I didn't pass it on to him. So my strength comes from my family. They would have done so much for me and my son if it was me in this position. So now I have to do right by them. I need to do so much to save the kids. Adversity is a great teacher. We find out what we're made of, and you certainly have been tested. What has been the biggest lesson for you so far? You cannot put off making memories or doing what you felt was important. You know, changing careers, trying to write a book. Like I've been writing a book for 10 years. You don't always have tomorrow. And I, you know, people say that, but until you've lived it where you have this incurable disease that is rapidly progressing, you literally from time of diagnosis, you do not have enough time to make those memories that you didn't make along the way. I feel like we are trying to play catch up right now. We did so much as a family, so much with Heather and Holly, but I thought we had 10 more years. So now we're, we're just trying to do so much more. Holly's son, Mason is 18. He's going off. He'll go off to college in the fall. Like there's so much we have to capture. So he always remembers his mom. I, there's so much I wanted to capture for Maddie and Brayden, my niece and nephew, just in case something happened to Heather. I, And I was not prepared for that. I really, I don't blame myself at all, but I thought we had more time with Heather. It's not fair, honestly, to have to make so many memories so quickly. It's it's not right. I don't want other families to feel that way. My husband also has a rare disease. He was diagnosed eight months before Heather and Holly. He has a rare type of Alzheimer's early onset. So not only am I in a situation where I'm trying to make memories for myself with 
Holly, Heather, their families and their children. I'm trying to make those memories for my own son with his own father and my husband. So believe me when I say, you know, it can happen and it, you, you just need to live life to the fullest every day. Success means different things to different people. How do you, Heidi Edwards, founder of Sisters Hope Foundation, how do you measure success right now? I definitely measure success by how much laughter and fun we're able to have and how much support I can bring to families with this disease. By starting Sisters Hope Foundation, I have been able to connect with families here in the United States that are quietly suffering with this disease as well. And that ha definitely makes me push faster and harder to get this job done. Heidi Edwards, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the story behind her success. God bless you and God bless your, your sister. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Candy. And that's the story behind her success for this week. If you want to know more about Heidi Edwards and Sisters Hope Foundation, just go to sistershopefoundation.com. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy O'Terry Official and on all other platforms at Candy O'Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, we'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise.